Episode 24 of When Life Usually Lemons Go Vegan is here and we are back on our regular programming. In case you are new to the show, my name is Corinne Nidja and I'm the host of this podcast that shares stories of hope for people who have overcome chronic diseases such as multiple sclerosis, heart disease, type 2 diabetes and even cancer, some forms of cancer, not all cancer. Please see a doctor. Um... After adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. This week, I'm speaking to Christine Mullaney, who shares her story of how a plant-based diet helps her to live symptom-free with Crohn's disease, which is an amazing story. So check it out. Thank you. So hello, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi. Let us all know a bit more about you. Introduce yourself to everyone. Hi, my name is Christine Mullaney, and I have been following a a vegan diet for a couple of years now, and I'm really excited to be on the show and talk about it. I'd like people to start at the worst ugh, moment and then how you discovered this way of eating. So if you'd love to share it with us, I would be so grateful. Sure. I hope you have some time. <laughs> it all started um, about 11 years ago um, when I turned 17 and I was really ill and I was so embarrassed about what was happening. It had a lot to do with my digestive system. <laughs> um, anyway, I kept it all to myself for like seven months. I just suffered. And I finally reached out for help, you know, with my mom and she made me a doctor's appointment and we went and oh, I had all the tests done that they could do. And eventually the diagnosis came back for Crohn's. Um, and I was told that, you know, I was going to need to be on medication for the rest of my life. This was an autoimmune disorder. There was no cure. Nobody knew what caused it, but, you know, this medication is going to save you, so you have to take it. And, and that was forever? That medication was, that's just what you have to take for the rest of your life? Forever, yep. I was going to need to be on some type of medication to, to live. And what, what was that medication? Sorry to interrupt. Well, I started off with, with steroids because I was so inflamed at first. Um, and they tried a, a few different steroids that, you know, didn't sit well with me. And then I eventually uh, went on Pentaza, that's uh, P-E-N-T-A-S-A, and it did give me my life back. I mean, I did feel better and I did feel like <sighs> I was doing better, but I, I still didn't feel... <sighs> okay with needing to be on a medication to survive because I felt like there was more to it than that. I was never satisfied with, you know, this is, this is it. This is the end all be all. Can I bother you to embarrass yourself a bit and just explain to us, maybe people listening might not know the symptoms of Crohn's, might not know. I, I know sure. a bit about bleeding and diarrhea and those types of things mm -hmm. and the discomfort, but I mean, if, if you're, you don't have to like say this is exactly, you can just say these are the symptoms other people. <laughs> a friend well, of mine had this. <laughs> <laughs> so my friend had <laughs> all um, of these symptoms for a couple months in a row. It was constant diarrhea and cramping and chills and um, just feeling so lethargic. And I lost about 30 pounds. My friend lost 30 pounds in uh, 08. Um, so Crohn's disease affects the upper GI tract and the lower GI tract as opposed to like ulcerative colitis affects just the lower GI. Um, so I, on top of all that, I also had like acid reflux that was really pretty awful. Um, 
and I was on medication for that for a short time as well. Um, and then, so yeah, I mean, the medication definitely like it gave me my life back in a sense that I could like leave the house. <laughs> I could, you know, start to look for a job, you know, I could like, I don't know, feel like a human being again. Um, but even still, like, it was such an expensive medication. And for a time I was uninsured and I didn't have money to pay. It was very expensive medication every single month. And, you know, I eventually like I got the, um, my GI doctor to give me some samples of the medication to tide me over. But it was always like a constant hunt for like, am I going to have enough medication? Make sure I have enough medication. Um, and then I finally, because my symptoms subsided, I was able to hold a full-time job and get insurance and pay for my medication. That um, That's what made me feel secure again. But it, it still, though, I've never felt, like, um, confident that, like, I'm always going to have enough because I remember what it was like to run out. And it was really scary when I did run out, you know. It was very painful. Wow. Which is really hard because you don't. I, I I haven't had like a bit. I've, I've had some IBS and constipation in the past. Everyone, a friend, a friend of mine, um, <laughs> and like that's you know you think that that's an is I, I thought that was terrible actually because it was really I was terrified to go to the toilet. So the opposite of you, I wouldn't go for ten days at the worst um, times. But I mean, to think when it's the opposite and it's diarrhea and those types of symptoms and you're unable to go to work, to, to be away from a toilet, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a super serious impact that people might just laugh off and think, oh, that's just gross, don't want to talk about it. But it needs to be kind of spoken about because this is a side effect of that disease that I've never even thought of until you're talking to me today, that it's difficult yeah. to to obtain employment because you need to be yes. near a toilet. My job that I had at that time, I lost my job because I was um, absent so much. And <laughs> it was just, uh, it was not a good time. It, that was really, that was really hard. How old were you at the time? It seems, everyone I've spoken to recently, it's been younger women. Mm -hmm. I was 17 when I was first diagnosed. It was like one of my first jobs that I had, but still it was just, it was so embarrassing to me. And like, I couldn't tell them what was wrong because I was just so embarrassed by it. Like, you know, when you're a teenager, it's like, that's a really hard thing to admit to anybody that, you know, you're, you're dealing with like diarrhea constantly and you know, that you're scared and you know, it's, um, it was really hard for me to go through, especially as a teenager. Yeah. I can't even imagine. So you were on the medication and you were worrying about the expenses because it was so expensive. And like in Australia, medication isn't as, is, is, isn't as much of an issue as it is in the States. So how, where did you, what happened to lead you out? You know, what, what happened? <laughs> I can't think of another way of <laughs> saying it. Um, I mean, eventually I was able to hold down a job and I got like decent insurance that would cover my medication, but again, I just wasn't satisfied with it. Like it did get me out of that dark place. And I was able to like, uh, I don't breathe a little bit because I knew I had enough medication to cover me, you know, but the whole time, like I would experiment with my, I don't recommend this to anyone, by the way, as a medical disclaimer, but 
I would experiment with my dosage and see how long I could go without taking it. And also at the same time to stockpile it to make sure that I would have enough. Like it was always like, I don't know. I was never like comfortable with what I was taking, what I was doing. Mm. So how long were you able to, like when you were doing those experiments, like how, how long were you able to go without medication before the symptoms would return? At first it was like two or three days. I couldn't go for longer, but I would still just keep experimenting. And honestly, I mean, that's what I've done like all these years is just experiment and I would try like going gluten-free or that this is like before I became vegan, I would try going gluten-free or eliminating dairy and like seeing what would help and seeing if I could like push it off a little bit longer and, Oh, you know, let's see if I can get another day out of this or, or whatever. And, you know, it never helped obviously because I didn't find out what my triggers and my true, you know, inflammatory foods were until later. And how did you find that out? Well, (laughs) it happened um, as I learned more about, like, we became vegan two years ago. Oh, okay. Congratulations. (laughs) Yes. It's exciting. Um, At first, it was just for the animals and the environment, and I... I really didn't care what I was eating as long as it was vegan. So I was eating, like, all the vegan junk food you can imagine. and We've all um, been there. Yes. <laughs> and I, I gained 20 pounds in my first year of being vegan. Um, and so one of my friends, I was telling her, like, how, like, unsatisfied I was with myself. Like, And she's like, well, why don't you try the starch solution? I don't know if you've heard of John McDougall. Okay. So I was like, all right. So I actually emailed him. And I was like, do you have any like advice for somebody with Crohn's disease that's trying to heal their ulcers? Because that's what it is. You have inflammation, you have ulcers in your ileum off of your um, your short intestine. So he <laughs> he responded with all this information. It was really wonderful to read. And he, he recommended that I, I follow the search solution and I eliminate um gluten and soy at first to see like if I had any triggers to those and just eat a really, really starch heavy diet. And, um, I did feel better and like a lot about my digestion improved, but it wasn't until I stumbled upon, you know, of uh, Dr. Michael Greger. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was watching this like live Q and a thing that he does, um, like the last Wednesday of every month, I think it is. And I overheard him say, I was like doing something else. I'm like kind of paying attention. And I, I heard him say that people with Crohn's disease should avoid nutritional yeast. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? Whoa, whoa. What? Back up. <laughs> it, it, it killed me because he's like, well, I don't have any videos about this coming out for like a couple months. So I was like, oh man. So I went and did my own research on it until he came out with his videos. And basically yeast is to Crohn's what gluten is to celiacs. And it blew my mind because I had never heard that before, that yeast could be a trigger for Crohn's. Never. And it would make sense that like when I went gluten-free that I would start to feel a little bit better because I was eliminating some of my yeast intake. But, you know, like the day that I heard that I had had a baked potato like loaded with nutritional yeast, you know, and like, oh, so I'm really going to have to, you know, be careful now. So... I went on a yeast-free diet, and within like literally like three days, I st- I was taking another medication, an, an antidiarrheal, and I stopped taking that. I didn't need to take it anymore once I stopped yeast. It was 
I could not believe it. Like I had been dependent on that medication for 10 years. So how soon after you stopped having the yeast did you stop that medication? It was literally like like two or three days after. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. And I just, I felt like everybody should know this. Everybody that's suffering in the same way that I am needs to know this. But as soon as you bring it up in any like Crohn's support group or anything, they're like, oh, you know, I can't eat vegetables. I can't eat. And I understand because I was like that too. When I was first diagnosed, I couldn't eat anything. But you have to like gradually just... I don't know, I keep eating really starchy foods because starchy foods are really good um, to calm your system down. And then you can introduce other foods in and then see what, you know, triggers you and what doesn't. So, and then it became like a trial and error there to see what other foods were inflammatory. And I learned that like bananas, weirdly enough, were like inflammatory for me and mushrooms. And like, so I was just able to pick out like a couple other foods. And then I stopped needing my Pentaza that I had been taking for 10 years also. So it was just such a, like an empowering yet scary moment because it was like taking off the training wheels off your bike for the first time and learning to ride again because I'm like, oh, I don't need this crutch, essentially. It was like a, a crutch the whole time that was like masking all of my symptoms. And then I was dealing with all of them and learning which foods were good and which foods were bad for me. Wow. I'm just amazed. So how, how soon between when you learned about the yeast from Dr. Gregor, did you get to go off your Pentaza medication? Um, it took a little, because again, it was like the yeast definitely helped um, so I could get off the antidiarrheal. The low, it was called loperamide. Um, and then for Pentaza, that took a little, that was like, it was like a couple weeks of like learning my other trigger foods, like like mushrooms and bananas and um, and and soy. Also, like I learned what my um, limits were basically, and then I was able to get off my pentas. So I would like to say it was like probably six to eight weeks. Do you think so? You're now a whole food, plant based vegan, and do you think that animal? Pro- what do you think? What role do you think that re- eliminating animal products would have had? Any any role? Well, I was interested in that because when we became vegan, I'm like, oh, maybe this will really help. And I think like it helped. I still have acne, but like it helped my cystic acne and it helped like overall inflammation, I think, like cutting out dairy and meat. And I thought that it would help my Crohn's also. But I've also seen that like um, in regards to the yeast that like uh, dairy products can kind of like weaken your, I'm probably going to quote this all wrong, but like weaken your intestines to the point where that gives the yeast a chance to attack. Like it just, does that make sense? Like it, it, you know, it, it weakens everything. And which made sense to me because I had seen, um, a couple things talking about that. And I thought it would help more than it did when I did eliminate dairy in me, but it was really the yeast that was like, that just blew everything wide open. Wow. So I always thought, just probably this is just from my own interest and probably less interesting for anyone who's listening. Sorry, guys and girls. But I always thought that nutritional yeast was dead yeast. And so it wasn't damaging like other yeasts because I obviously don't, well, I, not obviously, I just don't, I try to avoid yeast too. And I always was very reluctant to start consuming nutritional yeast until I, people were like, no, 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 it's deactivated. It's totally fine, different to other yeasts. And I was like, still sounds kind of gross to me. So you're saying that it still acts as yeast even though it's deactivated? 
It, so Dr. Greger has like, I think three videos about this. It, it's something to do with people that have Crohn's. They just, they're like a hypersensitive system and they just tend to react to brewer's yeast, nutritional yeast, and uh, baker's yeast. So I know that nutritional yeast is the dead yeast, but it still like acts as some kind of, I don't know, response. Like everybody else, like everybody else can consume it. <laughs> uh, just those with like a really hyperactive, like, like if you look at his videos, like I said, I think he has three and they're all, if you like search in nutritionfacts.org, it's if you search Crohn's and yeast, it'll all pop up and it's all um, really fascinating. Like the highest incident of Crohn's disease and, and morbidity, I'm sorry, mortality in Crohn's disease in bakers, which is interesting because they're surrounded by yeast all the time and they breathe it in and they, you know, assumingly they eat what they make as well. So I found that to be really interesting. That is really interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's really fascinating. I think like this, this, this interview typically is, these interviews are typically about people who adopted a whole food plant-based diet and transformed their health. And yours is a little bit different, but I'm still fascinated because I think that loads of people, well, I know more and more people who are having these varying degrees of digestive complaints like gluten intolerances or um, ulcerative colitis or IBS or, you know, just random bits and pieces of different – that's not the right way of talking, Corinne. Anyway, um, <laughs> my brain just melted down. But I think it's really, really valuable and interesting because I think more and more people are realising that they're having the digestive issues and, and, and complaints. And – like I've met, like I've mentioned a lot of times in this podcast, when someone when you're eating everything and someone says, "Oh, what what foods make you feel like don't work with you properly?" I remember I used to be like, "I don't know, I eat all the foods." <laughs> I, right. I can't tell you which ones making me feel gross cuz I eat them all and I wouldn't be able to pinpoint which one it was. But it is a, when you simplify your diet like by going on something like Dr. McDougall's Start Solution Program, when you strip back to something so basic as basically root vegetables, <laughs> you do start to finally go, ah, it's the mushrooms. Ah, it's the, what was your other one that you said? Uh, strangely enough, bananas. Because you would never, someone, someone said to you, oh, you know, I think it's the bananas. You'd be like, I think you're bananas. <laughs> bananas, <laughs> bananas are fine. But obviously not. Once you bring it all back, you can actually start to say, oh, you know what? I think that the, this nutritional yeast is the issue, or I think mm -hmm. it's these things. And I think it's so important that we do do those elimination style diets every now and again, where you spend about three weeks clearing out your system, like under, you know, do it with a, do it with a GP, you know, do it safely. If you, the nutritionist or whatever, well, preferably a plant-based supportive GP or nutritionist, but they're hard to find. <laughs> they're, they're very hard to find, but I mean, do it in a smart way where you're actually educating and informing yourself. I'm just, this is, this is for you, obviously, a bit for the audience. But, I mean, an elimination diet is when you take out the soy and you can actually start to see clearly anything that might be aggravating your system so that you can then move forward and say, you know what, I'm just going to not have dairy or, you know what, I'm just going to not have 
red meat or bananas in this instance, mushrooms in this instance. I think it's really important and hardly any of us ever do those types of three-week stints where we take a bit of a break from food. So it's fascinating. It's really fascinating to me that, yeah, that you've... um, It's interesting that like years ago, like, you know, since I've been diagnosed, like I would try to eliminate separately like the gluten and the dairy and it wasn't giving me the results that I wanted because I wasn't looking at the bigger picture at that point. But I think that it's also important to note that I wouldn't have come across any of this. I wouldn't have come across the plant-based doctors. I wouldn't have come across the starch solution, Michael, uh, Dr. Michael Greger's videos, if I was not already vegan. If I hadn't already been like going down that path, I wouldn't have, or maybe I would have later, but like I wouldn't have found it when I did. And so just in that sense, I'm so grateful that I was in like a lot of really good Facebook groups where a lot of people were recommending the search solution. And, you know, it helped me like, I don't know, just be more confident that like we have more control over our health than, than we're told by doctors. So true. So true. As I was telling um, Christine earlier, I recently just decided, okay, I have to put a medical disclaimer (laughs) on my show notes because people were saying, you know, perhaps you're being, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Perhaps you're putting people's lives and health at risk if you're just putting this podcast out without giving them a bit of a warning saying, I'm not a doctor and these are just people's stories and experiences. But like Christine says, these, uh, uh, we've, we've, we've been to doctors and had to do our own research and our own investigation as well because we just weren't satisfied with the current treatments available for our conditions and we wanted to find out more. Now, that's not to say don't see a doctor because Christine saw a doctor. Like she was seeing one, she was medicated, she she was doing all the right things. She just also started to test what foods to figure out why in the first place. I think that's all. I think the root of this podcast is to say it's okay to treat conditions, but it's also important to look at the root causes of these conditions. You know, why why was this happening to Christine's upper and lower GI tract? Why were they doing this in the first place, a healthy, vibrant woman? Why does her body just start to say, you know, I'm just going to give her chronic diarrhea and chronic pain and chronic discomfort endlessly and the only solution is medication for the rest of her life, sometimes it just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't add up why our bodies would just start to punish us so terribly. And so that the point of this podcast is for these stories to be shared, to say, you know what, see a doctor, get a second, third opinion and just start, it can't hurt to eat more fruits and vegetables. (laughs) And I think it's important to say also that like every single GI doctor, uh, physician's assistant, uh, nurse, every single one I saw that I asked about nutrition, diet, they all said this has nothing to do with your diet. This has nothing to do with what you eat. You know, you can't help it. It just is what it is. And I just always thought that why wouldn't a digestive disease have to do with what you eat? Why wouldn't like the food that you're putting in your body that travels through your digestive tract, why wouldn't it have something to do with what you eat if you develop an inflammatory bowel disease? Like it just made no sense to me. 
So I'm so glad that I took this leap of faith. And I, I mean, I, I went into it not really knowing what to expect, but I figured I had nothing to lose, you know? It's such a good story. I think um, for people who aren't vegan, I'd love to hear how you found the vegan diet because I think health for me was how I, well, was the beginning. Like I went plant-based with seafood for my multiple sclerosis uh, in 2008. And well, I always say I basically went whole food kind of plant-based from then. The occasional slip-ups, obviously. Well, not obviously. Some people are saints and never slip up. I, that Those people are outliers to me. I don't know how they do it, but occasionally I make a mistake. And by a mistake, I eat a brownie. <laughs> <laughs> But um, a, good a good mistake. Be vegan brownie. Then I had my son, Iggy Six, and I was breastfeeding him. And I think I've told this story a thousand times. But I was looking at him and I was like, oh, my God, I love you so much. And I always, whenever I really loved something so much, I always say to my husband, nobody else could ever love anything as much as I love, you know, like whatever it is. And he always just laughs. Like I'm saying, I'm the only person in the world who loves like a song that's really popular at the moment, you know, Bruno Mars, 24 Karat Magic, when it was popular, <laughs> you know, like, I'm just joking. That was my son's favourite. Anyway, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, nobody loves a baby as much as I love this baby. And then I was just laughing to myself and thinking, oh, my gosh, all mothers love their babies as much as I love my baby. <gasps> it's amazing that somebody else could feel this love because it feels like it's such an incredible... I know you're a mother and that love, you're just like, nobody else could possibly feel this. It's just too much. It's and really then I, primal. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, my God. <gasps> oh, mothers. Oh, my God. Cow mothers. Cows. Oh, mothers. And then I was then I was gone. I was a goner. Oh, but what a great realization, you know. I mean, that you came to it by yourself, essentially, but, you know, you didn't have to, like, see you know shocking footage or you know watch a documentary like you came to that conclusion by yourself yeah i, I watched gary i always forget his surname and i feel like a terrible vegan yurovsky yes yurovsky goodness um gary yurovsky after that and that just that he's the best speech ever made or something i watched that after and i was like okay you have just confirmed my, your you've confirmed sure. my beliefs and now I'm signed on forever. So what was what was your equivalent moment? You know, ironically enough, it kind of started with um, one of my kids, my son. Um, uh, my two boys have autism. Um, when my younger son was diagnosed with autism, um, we were seeing a speech pathologist and he said, you know, I see a lot of kids improve when they eliminate dairy from their diets. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I thought it'd be so hard. And I'm like, oh, you know, all right, we'll, we'll give it a try. But we did. And within like a week and a half, he was making eye contact. He was smiling. He was laughing. I mean, he just changed like night and day. And I'm like, what? They're just, I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, what? I had to look into it. Like, why is this happening? That is incredible. I know. I mean, he didn't like start like speaking full sentences. Yeah, yeah. You could just tell like he was obviously being like aggravated by like the casein, which is what the speech pathologist was kind of getting at. Like it's the casein that does this. And I'm like, 
all right. So I just wanted to like learn as much as I could. Like I just wanted to read everything. And then we, you know, my husband and I were looking on Netflix one night and I saw Cowspiracy and I'm like, oh, cows, milk. You know, I didn't even like look at what it was about. I didn't even see that it was about like the environment or anything. And I'm like, all right, let's, uh, let's watch this. You know, I want to learn. And it was like, for totally different reasons, you know, 15, 20 minutes in, I worn off animal products. I'm like, I'm never eating anything that came from an animal ever again. Um, and then, you know, obviously I went into other issues in that movie and, you know, you can really, really passionate after that, that, you know, both, both of you. Yes. My husband and I, and I, I made it very clear that I wasn't going to like say anything to him the entire time we were watching the movie. Like I wanted him to come to the real realization by himself. So when I was done, I waited and when the movie was done, I waited and I, you know, I waited for him to say something and he was like, well, I guess we got to go vegan. (laughs) I'm like, oh, thank God. Because like, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I was so happy that he felt the same way and I didn't have to convince him because it would have been really hard if I had to convince him to do it. Yeah, it would have, it is really hard. I'm telling my husband's just this year after so many years, he's just like almost, I say to him, when you say, because he's like loves the health benefits because we're a vegan household, but he's not vegan. So when he goes out, he eats whatever. And he, um, like he loves the health benefits. Like he looks better. He's feeling better. Like the weight's kind of falling off um, slowly at a healthy pace. But um, but I want him to say, I'm vegan for the animals. I said, the day that, the day that you say I'm vegan for the animals, I'm going to love you so much more than I do now. <laughs> it's coming. It, it must be coming because you obviously must influence him and you know everything you're doing must influence him. It does. I'm brainwashing him slowly but surely. <laughs> In a good way, though. It's a good kind of brainwash. <laughs> I hope so. I just hope, you know, I just want him to empathize with the animals because, you know, it's for me, I don't know about you, but for me, making that connection, it felt like my heart burst open in this way that you don't realize it's closed off. Like you don't realize that your heart is closed off to billions of animals who's who are being tortured and tormented. You don't realize that you're dead to their suffering. And when you op- when you become vegan and you open it and you say, I see you all suffering, it's it's a very, very it was very, very painful, but I realized that I I I'd been closed and I can't describe it any other way than my heart had been closed and now it feels open and even though it's sadder and heartbreaking to live in a world when your heart's really wide open to other animals suffering I wouldn't close it because I don't I don't want to I don't want to be silent about their suffering I don't want to feel that closure of that deadening of my heart again if that makes sense No, I think that makes total sense because when I first became vegan and I realized all this stuff was happening, that was really like, it wasn't even like a secret. I mean, it was more like hidden in plain sight, you know, it's happening all over the place. We just, we don't know about it. And I felt so, I don't know, enraged. (laughs) I, I spent a lot of, I'm still angry. I'm still like working through the anger and I'm trying to like put it into activism instead, but I mean, I would never take back knowing what I know. I, I would, 
even though it's painful, even though it hurts, even though it's like overwhelming most of the time, I would never take it back because they need every single voice to fight for them. So it's important. Yeah, it's, it is so painful though. And I, I, I definitely resonate with the anger like you feel. And a beautiful friend of mine, Ash, she's a neuropsychologist here. She's called the Vegan Neuropsychologist and she's mostly a, she mostly works with kids. And she's, if you follow her on social media, she's a very good balance of like science and psychology and and vegan activism. Um, her, yeah, her name's yeah, the vegan neuropsychologist. I think it's what she calls herself, Ash. But she talks about anger in this really beautiful way because I think our society doesn't like to think that we're getting angry, that we're angry vegans, we're militant, angry, crazy people who are in a cult, you know, um, and this rage. But this anger that she speaks, so she defines it, and I think it's so true, it's an anger as a result of a boundary being crossed, the awareness of a boundary being crossed. And like you say, it's hidden in plain sight. But when you really open your eyes and finally take the blinkers off and look at the suffering that's happening to animals across the world, you're right to be angry. We're right to feel anger. It is. Like a human greed has crossed this boundary into allowing these atrocities to occur and our oceans to be completely annihilated by mega trawlers and longline fishing boats and the forests to be decimated um, for our greed, just, just for our, literally just for our tongues. <laughs> like it's just for our tongues, like our taste buds is all that we're doing, all this destruction to the planet for our tongues. And that is a reason to be angered. It's a reason to be angry at ourselves, at our species, at our race. Definitely. I love, um, I'm sure you've heard his name, uh, Earthling Ed. Yeah, um, he's great. Fantastic activist. But I love the question he asks because he says, do you value taste over life? And I think that that is such a powerful question that really gets to people and it makes them think like, you know, wow, I really have a lot of control with what I literally put on my fork, on my plate. Um, and I think it like helps people come to their own realization without having to like attack them or make them feel like you're pushing some kind of agenda or, or whatever. Like, I think it really makes them reflect on their own actions. And not like my, my, my kids have the benefit of being born born, born, well, the first one I wasn't vegan in his pregnancy, but the second one I was, but he's been, he's never eaten animal products, either of them. But none of us, like when people, people do get very defensive and apparently it is actually harder to change your diet than it is to change your religion, someone's religion. I don't know who said that or found that out, but I do believe it's true because people do get so defensive when you talk about eliminating animal products from their diets. It's not to say that we think that we're better because you and I both ate meat, we both ate cheese, we both ate eggs, we both ate the standard American-Australian diet, which is very similar. We weren't bad people when we did that, but new information comes in and, and you do need to. Well, you should. <laughs> you just should. When you find out that what you're doing is harmful, terribly, terribly, terribly harmful to the planet, to the animals and to your own health, the only logical next step isn't just you can badger yourself and blame yourself and hate yourself and point the finger at yourself and say that you're a monstrous person and 
that's a waste of time. The best step is the next step forward, which is to take those that suffering off your plate. It's the biggest impact we can have. It's like the most important choice we can make. And we don't even realize like what a big decision it is when we're doing it, but it, it just the ripple effect, it just affects so many things that I didn't even know. Like when we first got started in this, I didn't know like the rabbit hole I was going to go down, you know, and I've, you know, it's been really challenging at times, mostly dealing with others that are not willing to change. Like that's the most difficult part about it, but I'm, I'm resentful that it took me so long to wake up to this. It took me 26 years, you know, of um, eating animals to realize that it was wrong. And it's just so bizarre to me that it took me that long, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm where I'm at. I was 31, 32, 31 and a half. So you beat me by like five years. So good for you. Yeah, yeah we did it. We did it together. You were talking about benefits and we've already talked about your Crohn's and the impact it had on your son's autism, which I think is amazing. Has it had any other impacts on your children, do you feel like, on their... You can say no, <laughs> like it's okay. So, like, it would be hard for me to say definitively yes. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's it's like challenging to find things that they'll definitely eat. And, you know, I have to hide a lot of things in, um, in their food. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I don't think it changed more than what I noticed in my son with autism. It's still incredible that that eye contact alone would have made such a, your heart would have exploded. I know, because I remember like telling people like, look, isn't he so different right now? Like, you know, those who saw him a couple weeks before, like you could really like tell like he wasn't like hiding under furniture and like banging his head as much. Like it was, you could definitely tell there was a big change in him. It was, it was amazing. That's, it just made me like question like why though? Like it was it just opened the door to so much more. With just in case people aren't aware, I have a little bit of awareness. I'm not a mother of any of a child with autism, but I've worked with it a little bit, and I can safely say that trying to change a child with autism's food, the fact that you've managed to get them to go vegan is, and obviously I'm generalizing a whole population of children by saying that. Sorry, everyone who has a face parent. But I did find that all of the children that I worked with, so that might not be the whole population of every single child with autism, I apologise. But they did they, they did have a those children, the children I worked with did have like very few things that they would eat. Like apples, apples. I had one child who would eat apples, raisin toast and nuggets. And that was and scream about anything else they become regimented in what they will and will not eat and then they have sensory aversions to different temperatures and textures and it is like totally exhausting you know when they drop some of their favorite foods and then I have to like find new foods to replace them it it is extremely just mentally exhausting (laughs) but you know I do what I can with what I've got and you know, the fact that like, you know, we didn't really eat meat. We didn't really eat much meat, but I know a lot of people say this, but like we didn't eat much meat before. We didn't really eat a lot of like animal products to begin with. So it was easier to like um, 
get them to transition to this way of eating because we didn't really give up that much. So I'm really lucky in that sense because I know a lot of parents that have like, you know, only chicken nuggets, only like whatever it is. Um, and I do understand why it takes longer to get a child with autism over to this way of eating, but you know, it can be done. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's, that's incredible. Cause yeah, I, I would have thought it would be so super, 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 super hard. Again, I apologize to every parent of a child with autism right now that I'm generalizing so wildly. I don't know how to say it any other way. Because I'm just ignorant. If is there is there is there a more is there a more um, ungeneralizing way I could say this as a mother of a, how how should I say it? If I say they, I'm kind of saying every single child with autism is the same, which I know is definitely not the case. It seems to be that sometimes children with autism can have um, sensory aversions or, or you know they become extremely um, limited in what they'll eat, what they'll do, what they'll wear, what they will wear. They, um, it's not every kid, but it, it is a lot of them. So sometimes, sometimes. It is true that like most of the parents that I run into that have children with autism, they'll say the same exact thing. So it's not that you're generalizing. I think that it's, it's a pretty um, common thing. It's a cliche for a reason. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. I don't, I just don't want to say anything that's like hurting the feelings of a big population of parents with people with, with children with autism. Cause you know, I, I, I personally am not offended because it's like, it's my life, <laughs> but I, I know that like most uh, parents of just even kids with special needs would probably agree with you. You know, I, I wouldn't feel like, well, I just, like, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Um, before I... I guess I'm generalizing and I'm speaking out for people. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. As long as we're all generalizing wildly here. <laughs> it's very fascinating. Um, one, la- well, one of the last few things I wanted to say to you would be, well, there's actually three things and I'm just being going so wildly talking about <laughs> a variety of topics all at once. So forgive me, um, would be if people we talk about, you and I have read The Satch Solution, we're all over Dr. McDougall, you know, we're his biggest fans, <laughs> Dr. Greger, but I, people who are listening who haven't heard any of this and don't know who these Dr. John McDougall and Dr. McGregor are and and what the start, what eating a starch solution style diet is like, if you would just like to just give us a general overview of what your day of eating would be like, people can get an understanding that would be awesome so i eat a lot of like potatoes rice beans lentils and oats so like in the morning i'll wake up and i'll have oatmeal usually with fruit um and then lunch it's usually like leftovers usually from the night before but that'll be like mashed potatoes with like lentils and corn and uh, peas and carrots or rice and broccoli and lentils or something but you know I've also like I've made um like like sweet potato pizza crust and like um just really like I don't know like interesting stuff and I branch out every now and again I I do stick to my comfort foods you know and I stick to the things that I know are not gonna like you know make me flare up or anything but um it's just basically like a compilation oh and like oven baked fries I make oven baked fries a lot so it's like just basically like your starches are your potatoes, your rice, your beans, 
your oats and your lentils. That's like what I basically stick to. Yes, and it's delicious. They're my favorite things too, oven baked fries. And I just, you can't have this because bananas are your thing. But I just got a nonstick sandwich press because I heard all these people talking about making hash browns in there, like just grating the potatoes on the nonstick pan, which I was like, amazed by but I make these banana oat pancakes which you could make them without the banana with applesauce you could easily applesauce, do, yeah. yeah um in the in the sandwich press and now well, I, I don't have that but I've made them twice so I'm not saying I'm making them all the time but I was like now I can make these amazing oil-free fat-free non-stick amazing pancakes that make the kids super happy and that, that's an important thing too, like about the starch solution, like no oil. Like I never thought that I could like cook without oil before, you know, and it was like, wow. You know, I don't know. I, I don't cook with it at all now, you know. I'll... I was blown away. I thought it was going to be impossible and so did my husband. Yeah. And I don't miss it at all. And I find now when I do eat something with oil, it like, it just tastes disgusting and it like coats my tongue and it's not like, I don't, I can't taste my food if I'm eating something with oil. So Okay, so you said two things, well, one thing, and I'm going to make you say two things. (laughs) I'm just going to force you to say the second thing. The one thing was you were talking about how you wouldn't change, even though, you know, going vegan has its own issues and hardships, you wouldn't change it because of the benefits. What would be the benefits of people who are listening who are like, ah, it's way better not being vegan. I would hate to do that. That seems awful. <laughs> what What would you say are the benefits from eating this way and living this way as far as that you've noticed? In terms of health or like Just everything? everything. Just everything. I was going to say health, but I'm, this, this podcast's gone a bit off the last two have, so let's just make it a vegan, all things vegan. Like, you know, but I think it's really true when people say like, vegans say, oh, I was always like, oh, I'll never go vegan. I think every single vegan has had that. I could never do that. Um, but by becoming vegan, like you don't give up anything if anything you give back what was not yours to take to begin with and I think that's really important to hang on to when you're learning about like how to cook you know so you don't miss things and you don't miss cheese and and yogurt and, and things you thought you could never live without and I think it's a really like interesting way to learn how to cook because instead of like relying on the same like three dead animals over and over to cook you learn oh my gosh I can substitute you know taco meat for lentils or, or whatever. And it, it just opens up a whole new world of cooking. And like, now I really enjoy cooking before I like was totally grossed out by like touching raw meat and stuff. So, you know, there's that to it at that point. And then I just think it makes you, you know, we have like a natural ability to just question everything and, and question, um, things that we've always been taught and told were normal. And then when you become vegan, you take a step back and you realize like, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than my need or my want to eat this way. It's bigger than my want to go to the zoo or, or whatever, you know, and you, you take a step back and you realize that the animals are here with us and not for us. I really agree. And as far as health wise, what have you noticed? I am just so grateful that I stumbled upon what I did with the starch solution and Dr. Greger's video, like 
I've noticed a complete turnaround in my health. Like I'm able to actually live without taking medication. I was told I'd never be able to live <laughs> if I didn't take this medication. And it's, it's amazing to me how empowered I feel by taking control of my health and just, you know, doing a little extra research and, and just doing a little trial and error. And I think that, um, you know, it gives me like a higher quality of life. And like, you know, another thing that happened is I think it was related to the yeast is I had like debilitating eczema on my hands for 10 years since I was diagnosed with Crohn's. And, and since then I can, I can bend my hands and I, you know, I'm not in pain. I'm not using steroid ointments, you know, and it's just, you know, I couldn't like wash the dishes before. And now I can like wash the dishes or give my kids a bath without like wearing a glove or, you know, it, it's just the simple things that I thought were never going to be able to change. You know, I changed it. And your hands are fine now. Yeah, they're fine. I mean, before like, you know, last year, year before they were all cracked open, bleeding, terrible, <laughs> itchy. It was horrible. And so I'm, I'm just, it's, this is like the first winter that I've been able to open and close my hand and make a fist and not like want to cry. <laughs> It's it's great. That's amazing. And so if you were going to give someone three tips to try out this way of eating, if they wanted to try it out, what would be your tips? Um, I would say to educate yourself as much as possible because there's so much information out there. And while there is misinformation, you know, there are a lot of really credible sites like nutritionfacts.org or like Dr. McDougall's website, which I think is literally like drmcdougall.com. Um, and, you know, just arm yourself with all the information that you need to eat this way. Um, and to also, my second piece of advice would be to join Facebook groups. There's a lot of really good, <clears throat> inclusive Facebook groups that, that like the admins are extremely knowledgeable and all the people in there are extremely knowledgeable and helpful. Uh, my personal favorite is new vegan support, just, you know, encompassing all vegan issues. But then there's a lot of like whole food, plant-based vegan groups that are helpful, like McDougal Friends and um, How Not to Die, uh, Dr. Gregor's Facebook group. So I would definitely join something like that. And then I would also say to people that, you know, what you're going to be doing is going against the grain. You're going to be going against what's normal to other people, but to not let that hold you back, because I think it takes a really strong person to go against the grain and, you know, think outside the box and the rewards are going to be so much better than just feeling a little uncomfortable because, you know, you're doing something different from your friend or your, your coworker or whatever. I think that it's a bigger picture and to look at the bigger picture. Definitely, definitely. There's something, I don't know. I don't know if there was a story or anything like that, but I think that the the idea of being an outlier, of being that fringe dweller, um, it can be really, really terrifying for lots of people not to fit in. We like, we're pack kind of animals. We like to fit in. And so there is a discomfort in being that odd vegan at a family function or at a party or whatever. But, um, I guess as long as you're not a jerk, people tend to be. To my face, they tend to be fairly nice. <laughs> right. I mean, I've had my you know moments with people, but I think it also really helps to share your food 
and like show them. I mean, it's not just about the food, you know, veganism is about more than that, but I think it really helps people that like, you don't just eat literal like bark and twigs and grass. Like everyone thinks that we do. So I think it really helps people open up their mind to what this is all about when you share with them, like, you know, a really delicious pizza you made or the pasta you made because they forget that that's vegan food. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I do think that sharing of the food is a big, a big thing. Yeah. My, my parents, always my brother's vegan ish. Stephen, if you're listening, you're vegan ish. <laughs> but my parents love his food because he, he has a lot more fat and oil in his food. So they love going to his house for his vegan food. When they come to my house, it's healthier. And so they often, well, they don't complain, but sometimes I make it because I just am so used to eating that my taste buds have changed. And so if I've got a salad that's got lots of bitter greens in it, I don't care. I'm just thinking, yay, my microbiome's happy with this bitter green salad. And my dad's like, this is in- unedible. <laughs> you've, put too you've, you've gone loco with uh, bitter greens. But, um, but my brother makes like amazing lasagnas and all kinds of things. And they go there and they, you know. And my husband makes beautiful pastas, which are low fat, totally fine. But yeah, I'm just so far down the rabbit hole that now I think my cooking is too healthy for your beginner. (laughs) I know what you mean. I've had to like remove a lot of like spices and certain things that I know aggravate me now. So, you know, if I'm cooking for somebody else, I feel like I have to like make it more interesting or spice it up a little bit because I'm like totally fine just eating like like I've said, like mashed potatoes and lentils. That's and what I like, mean. Yeah, I'm totally fine with it being like four things in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but my parents are like, this is not not fun at all. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and my son says the same thing. Mom, you know, it's always just baked potatoes and salads when you cook. And I say, that's because they're the best, all right? <laughs> just like right? it. I'll make they you are. some hummus. Just eat the hummus <laughs> and shush. <laughs> yes so no it's very important yeah my parents trying to get them over to the vegan side is harder because they really want the old flavors and i do think that my brother is a better gateway person for the newbies than i am yeah but i get ranjit to cook my husband to cook for them when they come because they like his pasta and they like his curries and things like that and and i'll just cook when they're not coming for tea (laughs) So that that's how they start. They ease into it. They start with like the really fatty, you know, bad foods. And then they go into the healthier, good, you know, stripped down, you know, not necessarily boring to us because I find it comforting, but um, healthy food. It's interesting. You mentioned before about starchy foods being comforting and calming for your system. And um in Ayurveda, they say that the root vegetables, because they're in the earth, they're grounded, and that's why you feel grounded and calm from eating root vegetables. And when you eat, f- you know, fruit from like high in the thing, it can make you feel less grounded and more scattered and whatever. Anyway, I thought it was just interesting. I was just dropping that it in there for no reason. But anyway, mm. <laughs> that's fascinating. No, that is. I think there's there's much more to it that we haven't yet realized. It's more than just like a comforting feeling. I think it there's more that we don't quite understand yet, like how it affects us. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. I've been rambling. I apologise. <laughs> I have a tendency. Oh, no, don't apologise. I, I really love chatting with you and I love your story because I, can, I can't even begin to imagine 10 years living like that and thinking that that's another 10 years to come and another 10 years and another 10 years. So to have even like you didn't, you barely mentioned your hands and even to have 10 years of debilitating eczema on your hands, like to touch your partner or to touch your kids with these painful cracked open hands, just to exist and do anything like wash a dish and just dread going to the toilet because you want to wash your hands, but you don't want to wash your hands after the toilet because... No, it, it definitely, like, that was a big part of my life. For 10 years, I had to think, like, what is the way I can make my hand, like, not get wet? It's mm. ridiculous. I can't. I can't even. But a lot of people live with eczema and a lot of kids have eczema. So to, I know a lot of people who have eaten this way and got overcome eczema. And I think that even if this podcast was just a eczema reversal podcast... <laughs> <laughs> Well, for me, it was yeast. I mean, for somebody else, it could be dairy. For somebody else, it could be wheat or I don't know. It could be anything. But, like, for me personally, it was yeast. And I think that that's good to explore for somebody that has, like, a, a digestive issue. Thank you so much, Christine, for sharing your story with us this week. And thank you all for listening. I'm so grateful. And I hope that you're getting a lot out of this podcast or out of the episodes that you've listened to or, yeah, I need the stories that you've heard so far and interviews you've heard so far because we are 24 episodes in, which actually feels like a big number for some reason. I'm really excited um, to be 24 episodes in and I just love sharing these stories with you and speaking to these amazing people. It's so inspirational. Every week I'm more and more inspired and dedicated and committed to sharing these stories with as many people as possible. So thank you all for listening and thanks, Christine, again. If you're looking to try a vegan lifestyle because you're and you're new and you're nervous, Christine's a mentor at Challenge 22. So you can find her at www.challenge22.com. She's a mentor. So you go there, they have meal, recipes, information, resources, everything you need to try out going vegan for 22 days. So find Christine there as a mentor. I'm sure she'd be awesome. Also, if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast and you've got like a minute, can you please subscribe? Then you can get new episodes to come out every single week, normally on a Sunday or a Monday. As of now, back to normal scheduling. And if you have a second and you could, in your heart, leave me a five-star rating and a really kind review or just a rating, that's fine. It might seem just like a bit of an annoying, tedious thing to have to do to click on the stars or to write a little sentence or a kind word. It really helps this podcast to get to, to reach more people. So if you have the time or you could make the time, it would mean so much to me and my mission to just get these messages out to as many people as possible around the world. So thank you so much. If you have the time, it would mean so much to me. And yes, I'll see you next week. Thanks again. Bye.